Hey, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. I'm your host, Stevie Taylor. I hope you're good and doing your best. I just wanted to let you know that you can subscribe to the Gig Life Podcast. Go to thegiglifepodcast.com, scroll to the bottom of that first page and click on the red button. Pick your favourite podcast app and hit that subscribe button. You can even set it to automatic downloads so all those new episodes get delivered straight to your app. Also, if you dig this episode or any of the others, please share it with your friends or on your socials. And also, just a reminder that this podcast is free, always has been, always will be. But if you find some value in it, you can drop us a donation. All donations go back into the making of this podcast. Just head over to thegiglifepodcast.com and click on the donate button and roll with it. Sweet. Episode 91, Holly Smith, here we go. Today is Holly Smith. Holly is one of New Zealand's most predominant and iconic musicians. After working with numerous bands including Trinity Roots, Fat Freddy's Drop and Detroit dance legend Recluse, she was approached by New Zealand songwriting royalty Don McGlashan to perform on a movie soundtrack single Bathe in the River that topped the New Zealand singles charts and became one of the biggest and iconic singles in New Zealand's history. This set the stage for Holly's debut album, Long Player, released in 2007, which went straight to number one on the New Zealand charts. The album reached multi-platinum status and was followed with sold-out tours, then saw her take away several New Zealand Music Awards that year, which included Best Producer, Best Female Solo Artist and Breakthrough Artist of the Year. Holly has gone on to record two more solo albums, Humour and the Misfortune of Others and Water or Gold, and she has recently begun production on a long-awaited new album. Holly Smith is a prolific, hard-working singer, songwriter and performer and has also maintained a highly respected reputation of creating music with the utmost integrity and passion, not to mention her incredible live performances and powerhouse vocals. I'm extremely honoured to have gotten to sit and chat with Holly for this podcast. So ladies and gentlemen, please sit back and open your ears to some of the life and times of Holly Smith. I think we're rolling. Welcome to the Gig Life Podcast, Holly Smith. Thank you very much. It's my first podcast. Very excited. Is it really? Mm. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah. Yeah, like I said to you earlier, you sent me an email saying, did you have to put makeup on? Is it only audio? And I said, absolutely. It's only audio. I'm not wearing my makeup. <laughs> I've only got a face for audio. <laughs> I can't handle the video stuff. Yeah, no, that's why podcasts are so great. Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Um, yeah, we're just talking a little bit about um, lockdown and, and how things here in uh, Australia have started to deteriorate a little bit out of Melbourne. Mm. Um, yeah, just look up the news, people, and you'll, you'll see what's going on there. I'm curious to know how um, how you sort of dealt with lockdown when it hit New Zealand and, and what, um, what you kind of had on the boil and what sort of blew out for you with the lockdown. 
yeah, it's a funny one, eh? Like, we, uh, you know, obviously things sort of kicked off and um, Jacinda, you know, sort of uh, kicked into gear pretty quickly, you know? Um, I mean, obviously there was conversations and political kind of statements and whatnot, but um, essentially, you know, like after a little while of us being all very aware of the situation, you know, she did the whole, um, okay, we're in level three for two days and then we're going to level four. And... Um, you know, so it's kind of one of those sort of weird historical moments where, you you know, you'll know exactly where you were when you were watching that sort of statement. Mm. Um, but for me personally, like, at the, I was supposed to be recording the new record, uh, which was long overdue anyway, mm. at, uh, in April. Mm-hmm. So, um, so obviously that went out the window because it was in Wellington. Mm. So, so, sorry, where, where are you now? I'm in Auckland. You're in Auckland, yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, within, you know, like a week, the whole entire year of scheduled gigs were, were pulled, mm. you know, and, and my agents are good friends of mine as well, you know, and they were just like, we're, you know, we just literally had emails and calls every single second <laughs> for their, you know, sort of 20 plus artists for, with every every show um, cancelled for the rest of the year, you know, so it's been... Um, yeah, it was pretty surreal in that regard. Mm. Uh, but obviously, you know, the bigger picture taking into that, you know, taking that into consideration, it was, you know, it's like, okay, well, we're all in the same boat, right? So it's just a bit of a big push-pause button, uh, we hope, and, you know, that things will start kicking off again once um, we're able to get going again. I mean, at one point in lockdown, like full lockdown, uh you know, like there was a news thing where someone was saying, you know, like there's there's definitely not going to be any gigs larger than a hundred people, yeah. you know, at least till the end of the year, and that that got me pretty upset for a few days. Um, yeah. Just sort of going like, ah, oh, finally it was my year to do another album <laughs> yeah, <laughs> after right. years, and it's like seriously, man. I know it's not about me, but fuck. yeah, you're true. Uh, <laughs> 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 it's like really this year. Uh, but, you know, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I'm super lucky. My partner's got, you know, like a, um, a solid job, which is uh, which is in finance, so he's been super busy. Mm. Um, so, you know, pretty pretty lucky on the front of, um, you know, I'm not looking at being evicted or, you know, I'm, I'm in a pretty lucky position. So it's probably the, the most grateful I've ever felt for my um, situation, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can always find holes in it, um, mm. but this... This was a time where I was definitely like, man, I got absolutely nothing to complain about. It's um, I'm super lucky and grateful for everything I'm I've got going on. So, mm. yeah, pretty surreal situation, which is still happening. Yeah, um, did you like you were about to head down and, and start recording your album? Did you have it basically, basically all written, or have you taken this time now um, to maybe write some more stuff to add to it, or change or tweak some things, or did you sort of just leave that? And, go do something else? No, I've actually had these songs for ages. Yep. Um, I definitely could have done this two years ago, to be okay. honest, you know. Um, but then I was kind of going to do an interim album and do a bit of a jazz thing, which I'd like to do at some point, but that ended up sort of uh, lagging and, you know, just relying on too many people to do things and just didn't happen. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm, I've got to start on my record now. And yep. And so I had it all ready to go. Um, but, yeah, so it, it was funny during the lockdown. Like, I'd, 
I, ha- I have actually talked to quite a few artists about this who just didn't feel creative at all during that time. Like just the, I think just the energy was so subdued and calm. Like there was no electricity or you know sort of energy to yeah. to claim anything off. It yeah. was um, you know I just yeah so many people I talked to didn't create anything, which we all thought would be such a beautiful, you know, wonderful time to be able to sit down and focus on something. Yeah. But um, And because I've sort of written everything, I didn't want to sit down and start writing new stuff and yeah. kind of get confused about what I was focusing on. Okay. So, yeah. And because it was all kind of ready to go. So pretty much I just played a lot of PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be playing heaps of Nintendo Switch, heaps of FIFA. Yeah. <laughs> it's been good. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's let's roll back now, right to the beginning. Mm-hmm. How it all sort of started for you, um, your early childhood musical family. Uh, Mum, not so much. My dad um, is an amazing guitarist. He he still plays um, sort of you know sort of uh, blues rock kind of cover gigs kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix, um, mm-hmm. old school funk stuff, um, and. His dad was uh, a saxophonist and a drummer and, you know, so, like, there's definitely a little bit of a musical swing through that side. Um, so I grew up with mum and dad until they uh, separated when I was about five. Um, so it was just me and my sister who's four years older. Um, and so it's just been mum and my sister. Um, dad was um, semi-present, um, you know, sort of, every couple of weekends or whatever. Um, so not so much of his musical influence on a daily basis, but, you know, definitely still still um, kicking in along the way. Yep. Um, what else? I mean, yeah, basically just started singing in, in choirs when I was, you know, at school and before that, you know, like was sort of singing before I could talk apparently and mm. writing songs and... And um, rocking around the house with a hairbrush kind of vibe. Um, and, yeah, in, in primary school, you know, like definitely was was singing heaps, had really supportive music teachers, which were which was great. Um, but, yeah, pretty, pretty much just, the, you know, rolling along that kind of thing. And then intermediate, uh, I wrote, the first song I wrote was in... Um, Intermediate was my friend Julia. Um, she played piano and I wrote it. It was like a like an Auckland composition competition. It was like you had to write a song about Auckland. And right. I still remember it was like the city. It was called the City of Sales. Uh, and we that ended up becoming a school song. And I had to sing it like every assembly to <laughs> school's dismay. Um, and it had to be had to be rolled out on the OHP yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> overhead projector. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We, used to, to re- we used to bomb re- those things, eh? We used to steal the pens. We used to steal the pens <laughs> when the teacher would go up the back and draw on them. And yeah, that was that was awesome. Yeah. Just cock and balls everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, so it was just, you know, sort of that kind of format through that. And then, you know, sort of, so I started writing about the end, started getting a bit more serious in high school, uh, went to Northcote College, which had an incredible um, big band, mm. uh, jazz big band. And at that point I was really into sort of blues and jazz stuff. So um, who, who, went was the, who were some of the artists you were listening to at that stage? Um, early on kind of James Brown, uh, Jimi Hendrix, you know, from early, early. Yep. Like I had, I think my first cassette was Kylie Minogue, mm. Australia. Um, 
I think everyone's everyone's first cassette tape was probably Climbing Oak. Uh, in the end, mine was Wham. Sorry. Well, how old are you? <laughs> oh, I'm 44. Yeah, so I'm like I'm the 80s, early okay, 80s. Okay, right, gotcha. Um, kind of, yeah. I mean, lots of dad and dad's, dad's influence came through. Mm. On that level, but then also at the same time, the James Brown thing was a bit separate. Um, Ray Charles, Jimi Hendrix, um, not really too many female artists that I can recall apart from the more pop mm-hmm. stuff that I was listening to, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but yeah, sort of all that kind of stuff, and then went to Northcote College to uh, essentially be a part of the jazz band, um, started doing gigs independently of that as well when I was about 13 um, around like sort of jazz clubs and stuff um, and then yeah the, the uh, North Coast College Jazz Band was you know pretty profound like we, we went to Manly Jazz Festival most years mm-hmm. um, they got invited to Montreal Jazz Festival which was kind of the year I arrived so I didn't quite get on that boat um, and you know heaps of jazz festivals around New Zealand, and, you know. So it was a it was a pretty significant band, which was led by Dee Skysinger, who used to, who's an American uh, American teacher who came over, and he's um, hilarious. Chain smokes used to chain smoke, but like while running the band in the school, <laughs> um, had a toupee, used to smoke out the door, and just be like, yeah, yeah, it's good. But he was, he was incredible, and he uh, <laughs> mentored a lot of us to become professional musicians. And um, so he was, you know, pretty pivotal point in my in my little musical life. So what, what's a what's a big bit of advice you sort of took away from him then? Um, well, it was just when I was doing the first track um, that I did with the jazz band. Mm which was God Bless the Child. And he kind of just was like, um, he kind of at one point was just like, hey, do you, do you know the words? Do you know what you're singing about? And I was like, yeah, I know all the words. Like, you know, whatever. And um, he's like, okay, we'll sit down and read the words and listen to the words. And then kind of gave me a little bit of a 101 on what that represented in the, in the bigger scale of, you know, uh, life. And about um, the black rights movement, civil rights movement, uh, all all of the different things that were so pained in Billy Holiday's voice and performance, and and you know who is recognised for obviously, and and that just really made a very serious uh, dent in my uh, mentality moving forward with my music and singing other people's music. Mm. Um, that was sort of when I learned how to, I guess, feel a song opposed to sing a song. Yeah, right. Okay. So from that point on, you know, it wasn't about, you know, being perfect. It was about, you know, knowing what you were singing about and implying your intent into every syllable that you could possibly Mm. get across, you know, um, that's more important than anything. And so that was a really um, a strong a point, a pivotal point in my songwriting, and um, and definitely in my performance. You know, it became a lot more. I mean, I, I never was, you know, like a show pony kind of outward performer, and I still are. Um, I'm still not, but uh, that I mean, that gave me a different momentum on stage. I, I, you know, like it was more about 
what I was singing about opposed to sounding good or what people thought or anything like that. You know, if, if someone left knowing what the intent was of that song, then, then I was doing my job, you know. Mm. So so he was amazing in that. And he was just a real hard-ass, you know, like mm. it wasn't until I was in fifth form and won a few awards at the National um, Jazz Competition here in Tauranga. We got like best vocal and we had like best combo and best arrangement. And at the end of it, so we're standing outside and I've got my trophy and I'm all pretty chuffed about it all. And he's just like, no, you did pretty good today, mate. You know, <laughs> that was just like, oh my God, he said I did good. Yeah. <laughs> and so he made you work for it. And, um, you know, so that was that was incredible. And, and lots of amazing musicians came out of that school because of him. He's um, and still um, in touch with him, you know, years later. And um, he's still a crazy, hilarious dude. Yeah. All right, that's cool. All mm. right, so out of high school now, what what are we what are we starting to do? Did you did you finish high school? Uh, well, basically, because I'm not classically trained, uh, sixth form was all performance. Mm-hmm. Um, in which I got almost 100%, you know, like uh, very high marks in that. But with seventh form, it was 70% um, theory, mm-hmm. which I couldn't do. So I had good enough marks in sixth form to kind of leave and, and uh, be accepted to university had I wanted to go. Um, and so they they basically said, look, you, you can't really come back because you can't come back and not do music. And if you do music, you're going to fail miserably. So uh, we commend you on your journey and you're free to go kind of thing. So, so that's pretty much what happened. And then so I just started working in bars. <laughs> right. And you, yeah. you're still in Auckland? That's, oh, oh, no, you went down to Tauranga, didn't you? Yep. No, 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 no. That was um, that was just still there at the time. So oh, yeah, sorry. I was I was still in Auckland at this point, yep. and started working in a cafe that I, well cafe bar that I had done a number of gigs at. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty loose environment, uh, which because I had no skills whatsoever was pretty good for me. But ended up being there for quite some time. Uh, managed, you know, sort of was sort of semi managing it by the end of it. Um, there for about four years. Mm. Still doing a few gigs, but that definitely, you know, doing the hospice thing, kind of trying to be an adult whilst definitely not acting like one for <laughs> a long time. You know, is uh, also bartending and managing a bar called Control Room, which is a pool hall on Queen Street in the CBD. Mm-hmm. And so I played a lot of pool, did a lot of pool competitions mm-hmm. uh, whilst running bars. So, you know, like so that took things away. I was still doing some stuff but definitely got a little bit too caught up on that. So ended up, uh, after one of my bands kind of went a bit south, I took off down to Wellington, which is where my mum had, had moved to a few years prior. Okay. And, yeah, and that was when I started working with like the likes of Trinity Roots, which was really another pivotal point in my um, musical journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was when I did, you know, like um, on Fat Freddy's Drop album, um, Recluse, uh, a DJ who um, from Detroit who lived in Wellington for a spell. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sort of that whole, you know, the Wellington kind of uh, pickup got me going pretty seriously then and had had a bunch of residencies with sort of jam bands that I was hanging out with, um, like members of Shifters and Freddies and all sorts of people, like, you know, significant bands now, but, mm-hmm. you know, just sort of us sitting in the corner of a, a dirty bar um, getting a free feed and some drinks and doing that every week, you know. So did that for a long time until I realised that if I didn't stop doing that, uh, then 
nothing would really progress. So I stopped doing regular gigs. Progress, sorry, progress in regards to your own music. Is that what you mean? Well, I think just like, you know, when you're being seen all the time in New Zealand, it's not like over in Australia where you can, you know, play a different venue every night, every, you know, every night for a month and, you know, not have the same audience. Um, You know, Wellington's little, had the same people coming every week and had really, really good crowds and all that kind of thing. Uh, But then I was just, I sort of knew that I had to not be so accessible to create my own audience um, with the, my own music as well. So, so yeah, I took, I took a, a break from that and started rehearsing up my band and about four months later put on a show, sold it out at 600 with about another 200 people around the block kind of thing. So it was a pretty good start. And, yeah, basically went from there and continued on that for a long time until uh and then i kind of decided not to do collaborations anymore you know because i've been doing these sort of guest spots and things and and then i kind of pulled the pin on that um and just went no i'm going to focus on my stuff no more collabs no more collabs and started working on my record Mm -hmm. my debut record and then um i think you'd, you'd release some you'd released your ep and stuff by then, is that right? Yeah, so that was a little bit earlier on. That was yep. with Warren Maxwell from Trinity. So that I can't even remember those songs, to be completely honest. Okay. Um, you know, that was just like a little – it's funny because some people absolutely still adore that and still and still talk about it, and I wish I could. <laughs> I, I've got a couple of CDs somewhere lying around, but I've got nothing you should, to play them, you them. <laughs> You should relearn them because if the fans are coming up wanting to talk to you, well, yeah. What about that part in such and such? And you go and yeah, don't fucking remember. <laughs> I do that with most of my songs. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, but after that point, uh, just sort of went, um, you know, sort of dive to that, focus on my stuff, get get prepped and ready to go. And then Don McGlashan rang me, you know, New Zealand, New Zealand music royalty legend mm-hmm. from the Mutton Birds and all that kind of thing. And he wrote me and he was like, hey, I'm doing this movie score. Uh, do you, you know, I'd really like you to come and, and do this song. It's just, you know, a part of the movie, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay, yeah, I'll do one more. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and basically walked into the studio, sang it like four times, walked out of the studio, and um, and then it just went crazy. It was one of the biggest selling New Zealand singles in history. It was, you know, sort of everywhere. Uh, it was obviously for the at the at that time for me it was a really I was not into it <laughs> okay because obviously I was because it had like a gospel thing and and it was very much my kind of style which hadn't really been done in New Zealand or anything and my whole album was that and yep. it kind of came in just before I was about to release and. Obviously, you know, open doors and lots of people hear my name and all that kind of thing. Sure. Um, but it kind of was a pretty, you know, it's like, ah, shit. You know, admit, like what would have happened if I had had my music out before that? You know, yes. would that have done the same thing or is it just because it's a an amazing song? Right. Yeah. So that, that song's called, um, <coughs> pardon me, that song's called Bathe in the River. Um, for the people that that, uh, that don't know, so go. Go check that out, but go check Holly's other albums out first. Do that first. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've learned to love both. Yeah, yeah, both yeah, of, yeah of course. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
Um, but yeah, it was an interesting journey with that song. Like, I, I refused to play it live oh, when really? I released my stuff. Uh, I only played it with Don for a special occasions, mm. but you know, so it became you know pretty special because of that as well. But I refused to sort of play it live just because it wasn't my music. I didn't write it. This is my project. That's not my project. You know. Um, Did that alienate alienate some fans? Did people? Oh shit! That? Yeah, I had a oh, lot wow. of hate mail over that one. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I had. I mean, most people understood after seeing my show. Like most people walked away pretty happy, you know. Yep. And and got it because I would say, like, obviously they'd expect it for an encore or something, and I'd sort of explain that that's not going to happen. And I apologise for those people who expect it, but mm. this is my reasoning. So I was I was pretty open and honest about it. I didn't just like walk off and not do it. Um, mm. And so some people were supportive of that, and obviously some people were openly disappointed, which, you know, obviously is understandable, being the big hit and all. But, um, but you know, was, you know, this is when I was 10 foot tall and bulletproof, you know, like yeah. start of my career, and so just, I, um, I didn't want to be dictated by another song, essentially, that wasn't mine, because I wanted to be known as a, as a songwriter and a producer, not just a singer. Yeah. You know, so. Can you just sort of paint a picture of how, how big, that song actually became. I mean, I could sit here and, and read through the awards and all that sort of stuff, but um, it was number one for a, a, you know a long time for that period. You know, it was just sort of there had only been so many New Zealand sort of number ones at that point. You know, we're talking twelve years ago. Yeah. Um, so there's only been so many iconic songs that had kind of had that reputation prior i mean now it's completely different obviously but mm -hmm. back then it was you know it was a pretty big deal um you know because i didn't really you know not sure about money because it's important but you know like I, it wasn't my song so i didn't get any publishing on it you know okay. I, I just sung it and you know got paid 500 bucks or something to do the session and then you know so that was that really and so on every level it, i was quite detached from from the song and the process which uh, but, you know, but then again, like, obviously it did help my reputation a lot. Mm. So I was really grateful for that also. Um, but, you know, it's sort of all, almost like what would have happened if my album had come out first. You know, like, I can't compete with Don McGrashen's songwriting, <laughs> let's be fair. But he's, um, but, you know, like, just I think it was more the style of music and this, just something that hadn't really been heard here on, on a high level, which, you know, I sort of, um, as much as obviously I wouldn't at all think that I'm um, on level with Don's songwriting, I'm just wondering what would have happened if my music had come out first because I've sort of always been in the shadow of that song since. Sure, right. Um, which I'm I'm not bitter about at all. Like it's it's um, I'm now really grateful. You know, it was just the process at the time that was sort of like that, and now you know, super grateful, and I love seeing that track, and just you know, because it's being played at funerals it's been played at weddings yep. just so it means so much to so many people and i guess you know sort of got back to that point of like well what's music important you know what's it for and you know why would i try and um deny this from people who it's so important to you know so yeah, it was okay. it was more just me going through the process of of my own ego and my musical journey before i could get to the point where it's like it doesn't matter if i sing other people's songs there's only me in this musical bubble. They're not in it with me. They don't understand why. And, you know, if they love it and really need to have it with them, then I, I shouldn't be denying anyone that.
you know. So, but now it's incredible. You know, there's always a big sing along. It's all it's a bit of an old school anthem now. So, and you, and know, you like, st- do you still play that in all your live sets? Yeah, I yep. do now. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah, I have for for have for years now. But yeah, yep. okay. again, it's. I'm old, and it's such an old song. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, so your your album that that um, let's say was in line with that. I'm not going to say precede that because you know um, that album's called Long Player, and Long um, player, yeah. yep, I, I love that album. I think it's awesome. Um, so uh, can you talk a little bit about the album, the process? Was that your first, um, um, or that was your first solo album that you'd been involved with? Um, yeah. Were you getting into the production of the songs? Did you just write the songs or did you have a producer? That, would you just go to your producer and say, you know, I've got the song, make it sound like this? Or were you sort of hands-on in the whole thing? Um, pretty hands-on. So I, I wrote all the songs and pretty much arranged all the parts. Because um, you play you play piano, you play guitar. I wrote, That album was written on piano. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't playing guitar so much at that. Um, well, I did prior, but. I wasn't playing guitar at that point. Yep. Um, so I got a producer involved. So we were kind of co-producing. Uh, I, I must say it, it ended up being quite a difficult process. Uh, uh, in the studio, got pretty, it got pretty toxic. Like he was definitely trying to steer things in one way, but just doing it in a way that wasn't, in, in my opinion, and, and the people that we're working with uh, found it very controlling and 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 wasn't um it just wasn't an enjoyable um time you know there was a lot of tears and a lot of you know sort of frustration and um you know and everyone was being very well looked after um and in several different and different manners but Mm -hmm. it was just you know it was a bit of a you know got pretty disillusioned about it pretty quickly and it was all pretty upsetting but sort of stuck to my guns and got what I wanted out of it um you know, like the engineer, for example, was, you know, wasn't going to allow him to re-enter that studio at any point. Right. Afterwards, you know, it was, so it was just it was just an awkward, slightly um, uncomfortable setting for a lot of it. Well, obviously, you know, um, the pressure made, well, I, I stuck to my guns and, you know, I'm, I'm proud of that record. I haven't listened to it a lot. I get a bit emotional about it all. But, um, but when we, because when we finished that record, uh, my management took it to a few international labels and Blue Note um, Records in New York got on board and Bruce Lundville, who was the um, the head of EMI, uh, sorry, head of Blue Note from about 82, he was sort of the one who brought it back into fashion with Nora Jones and that kind of thing. But still, it was sort of the label known to have the most um, kind of artist... Um, you know, sort of the artist at the heart of the project, you know, I'm losing my vocabulary, but um, it was just a really respectful label in that regard and and there was no um, problems with creative control and all that kind of thing. So it was pretty much a dream come true, like obviously knowing every artist on that label being from a jazz and blues background. Uh, You know, it was pretty, it was pretty exciting, but this was before... Lord, and this was before um, Kimbra. This was sort of like the first New Zealand international major record label that had been sort of talked about. So all of a sudden, it just went massive. Mm-hmm. 
um, you know, media, everything, you know, it was, it was a pretty, it was a pretty full on time. Um, but along with that, you know, we're still kind of, I can't really remember the timeline, like we're still kind of in discussions about certain things, but I'd already paid everyone and blah, blah, but, you know, it got pretty nasty in regards to, uh, although we'd had oral agreements and my manager, my previous manager had sort of dropped the ball on getting all of the contracts and stuff that I wanted to be, you know, sort of in place before we went to record. Mm. Uh, yeah, so that kind of, the ball was dropped there and then when the Blue Note thing got signed, um, it got pretty full on in regards to everyone thought that I had just made like a million dollars or something and kind of got attack left, right, centre in that regard. What, people coming after coming after your money, basically? Yeah, yeah money I didn't have, but oh, money cool. they thought that they assumed that I'd be getting. Um, because, you know, it was a major label deal mm. from America, so mm. obviously, mm. you know, it would have been, that would have had heaps of zeros on it, right? Uh, which absolutely was not the case, but it got to the point where there was no discussion about it and just some pretty... Um, some pretty aggressive tactics to um, try and get amongst it was, you know, I wouldn't say suing because we can't sue, but there was, you know, lots of lawyers and lots of um, lots of sort of horrible situations to go through, especially because obviously these are people are sort of friends and long-time friends at that. And so it was kind of a pretty rude introduction to how quickly that shit can change when actually nothing had actually changed because <laughs> right. I hadn't received anything. Like, yep. Um, yep. Uh, so it was all that kind of thing, which was pretty difficult to deal with, but, you know, we still got on with it. Went to New York, spent a lot of time in New York, uh, which was epic, had a great time. And basically a couple of the songs they wanted to remove and do a few new songs, which I wrote. And so I ended up going to Philadelphia with James Poyser, who, um, oh, he's, you know, multi-Grammy award-winning producer. He did um, Erica Badu's stuff. He's an amazing keyboard player. He plays with The Roots now, um, uh, with the Jimmy Fallon stuff. Yep. Part of the whole sort of uh, sort of new soul era from Philadelphia, you know, sort of the D'Angelo's and the Lauren Hills and mm-hmm. Erica's and stuff. So he was pretty incredible, obviously, to work with Adam Blackstone, played bass on on that um, on those tracks, which you can hear on the record. Um mm-hmm. Then he played with like Kanye, he was playing with um, Angie Stone, you know, like just some pretty, you know, some big time shit happening, which was amazing. We're in the OK Player Studios, which was the, the studio where the Roots have. And, you know, it's just, it was a pretty amazing experience. And I was just there on my own for like three weeks doing this. So it was all quite terrifying, but incredible. Um, so, yeah, so, so just on, pretty... sorry, just on those songs that, um, he he produced and put on that album. Which which songs are they? Uh, so it was kind of, it was kind of the re-release of Long Player, which was. Uh, so I think there was one I can't even remember the songs. There was a New Dawn. Mm-hmm. There was Miracles, which I still really like. Mm-hmm. New Dawn, and there was a third. So we did a uh, sort of a deluxe edition of yep. Long Player, which had the Philadelphia sessions on it. Okay. So those three songs, those three the songs, ones okay. that, right? That James did, yeah. yeah. Um, so pretty epic time, like absolutely loved it. You know, it was all in just going, you know, 
no one can stop me. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, and then basically it was everything was looking good. We'd signed a contract because um, I owned all the masters. Uh, you know, I paid for everything, independent artist. Um, and then when Blue Knight signed, like I then had to go with EMI because it's a subsidiary of, so they allowed New Zealand to be separate from the global deal. Um, but I just had to go with EMI because it, you know, for distribution, PND, so mm-hmm. publicity and distribution. <laughs> um, so that was all pretty solid um, until just. I was unfortunately I was just wrong place, wrong time, and uh, for the first time ever, EMI, which was essentially still the only um, official independent record label, still left as a major. Uh, a company called Terra Firma bought it for about five billion dollars, four point eight, I think, uh, and that rocked the boat in a pretty heavy way in regards to the structure of the company. Um, and the two heads of these companies who I was dealing with a lot because because uh, at this point I sort of travelled around the world and talked to the heads of like EMI because as soon as it leaves America it goes into a global EMI kind of conglomerate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it met all these people and we're like, we know it's on a mainstream album and it was just when digital started happening. So yep. we started deciding that we'd work it on a more digital platform and just sort of play with different things it could do. Um, and everyone was pretty stoked about that. The contract was signed, so they within the contract they had to release the album within four months. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and then essentially what happened was they kind of put a hold on that because we were in negotiations about maybe redoing a little bit of it because they really wanted to push it massive. Um, this is now the head of EMI, so this has gone above um, all of the umbrella companies mm-hmm. and I was like yeah that's cool but we're already kind of so fast through it can we negotiate on the next record like where well, this is all done recorded we've all you know like we're to the point where we're doing long lead press and all that kind of thing uh and then basically they just sort of rang and said oh we're not going to release your record and I was like okay sweet that's cool because I had other offers on the table um, and I was like, we'll dissolve the contract and move on. That's fine. That's unfortunate. You've wasted like a year of my life, but whatever. Yep. And they were like, um, and I was like, well, well no, because we own your masters. I was like, Mm-mm. nope. You own three songs that you paid for because mm-hmm. I didn't receive any money, but they paid for those three songs they wanted to do. Yep. And they were like, no. Nope. I was like, literally breaching contract <laughs> and they on a conference call with some of the biggest people in music at the time they just said we're a four billion dollar corporation what are you going to do about it Fuck. and so that was where that was left um and so they wouldn't give me my record back basically and because it was such a because it was my first record um i was so attached to it it's like my baby you know it's like five seven years worth of work so I kind of wasn't gonna uh allow that to happen so I was like well I'd rather sue you than because at one point they said you can buy the masters back for x amount which was everything they'd spent or something I was like uh yeah but I've spent this 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 so I offset heaps of stuff and then 
basically got into like a pretty nasty sort of legal situation where I was going to try and take them to court and then I had two different American lawyers and a New Zealand lawyer and after uh, a number of months back and forth they were just like you will be doing this for the next five, ten years of your life. You'll win because you, you like they breach contract but there's just if you want to waste your energy and time on it then sure but it's just no, you know, like just let it go kind of thing. And so I ended up buying my master's back. Uh, and and then that was that, <laughs> which I then by that point I could do nothing with because um, it was uh, kind of done and done at that point. Had they signed you to like a multi-album sort of deal and did you end up kind of getting shelved in, the, in that well, sense or did they just kind of own that, that album? Just that that one album, but then they had like an option for a second. So that's why until we settled, I didn't want to write or release any music just in case they went hardball. So so that's where that period of my life got pretty dark because I was sort of, I couldn't produce any new music. I couldn't do anything with the music I produced. And because I was sort of, you know, ramping up this trajectory of my career, which had just gone sky high at that point. Like, everyone thought I was living in New York and, you know, doing some amazing things and was about to explode, but realistically I was sitting in Auckland very fucking depressed, uh, you know, sort of not knowing what to do. <laughs> mm. And, you know, and so, and that's why the second record took four years because I was pretty much like, I'm done. Like, that was enough to kind of cripple my spirit for sure. But then financially as well, and then because obviously with the second record, uh, because I'd sort of depleted all my funds on trying to, uh, you know, live for that time but also pay for all of the shit that was going on. So by the time the second record came around, like I didn't have enough to back up my reputation with marketing or anything else. So it, kind of, it still went really well, but, you know, like I'd, there was a limited kind of amount of, you know, like there was no momentum that followed through basically. So sort of felt like I've always been a little bit on the back foot in in that regard. Mm. And, I mean, you know, like I've talked to, I mean, I opened for Coldplay when they were in Auckland and ended up, I mean, he's amazing. Chris Martin's great. He, like, watched all of our shows prior and, you know, like, and then after the show, you know, like we went out. And at this point I was pretty damn bitter about it. Mm. Um, and he was just like, what's going on? Let's just go, you know, have a drink, tell me about it. And sort of like just went, where? And he was, he almost like was in tears. He was like, I've never heard, like I've heard that this shit happens all the time, right? But not with an unknown young artist from a country that, you know, like they've got nothing to gain by yeah. fire, you know, like this is just sort of like a, a real dollars and cents, but down to the cents for them. Like, it, you know, like this, is, we're talking yeah. like hundreds of thousands of dollars of that, uh, you know, so not, we're not talking big scale on their level by yep. any stretch, you know, so it was just like, a, you know, he was just like, I can't even, I can't even fathom how, why this has happened. <laughs> he was so, yep. you know, he was appalled and talked to a lot of people about it and, and although these stories exist, obviously, all the time in the industry, it was just such a bizarre 
was a, such a bizarre one because there was no money involved. Like there was no investment from them. That you know, it was just a really a weird sort of standstill. Um, but yeah, it, it definitely affected me, and I wasn't sure if I was sort of going to continue in music after that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, once you're in music, you can't get out of it even then. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it's just sort of continued, and, and it's always just been a really since then I've found it quite difficult in regards to figuring out whether or not, you know, like I just sort of feel like music's sort of like chasing the dragon a bit, right? Like you kind of, you know, you sort of get to a finish line, but you're not done. There's no finish line. There's no, there's never an end point. Like you're just striving for something more and more and more and more. Yeah. Uh, you know, and regardless of all the successes that I had at that point, which were, which were quite, huge you know yeah. um which would be considered huge for a lot of people yeah um you know like for me it was just like no because i'm going to take over the world like i'm gonna i'm gonna do this and this and this so that so that was your thought as this start this is before all the shit happened you're going all yeah. right i'm here and i'm going to keep going okay yeah but not not in an arrogant way like just no no i know, I know what you're I saying. Worked, yeah, yeah. you know like gotcha. i worked really hard gotcha. and you know sort of situations presented themselves and i went yeah and then worked really really hard like i didn't have much of a relationship with my family. I didn't have friends, you know, like it was, you know, this was, this was my life since what, you know, since I was 13 and then from, you know, sort of 19, 20, you know, like it's just, it was never really, a, um, you know, this was just sort of the journey that I was always going to be on. Mm. Um, so I didn't, have any doubt like I wanted to be the first New Zealand to win a Grammy I wanted to be the first New Zealand to win you know like I, I just said yeah. that in my head that those were my goals um so you know so you kind of got to a point and then and then other people started doing it, it was like shit <laughs> damn it that was going to be me one day um you know so but then you know but then other things become important uh in regard you know sort of because shit got so low, I had to rely on other people and friends and family <laughs> to kind of get me through it. And yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. you guys are pretty neat. <laughs> uh, you guys are great. I really love you, fellas. Uh, and so, you know, so, so as much as I would love to get back overseas and do everything, I mean, financially it's not really possible. Uh, I mean, a few years ago we went to Mont- uh, Montreal Jazz Festival. We were invited over there. And so, you know, huge investment to get, you know, what, seven people from New Zealand over to Canada for, you know, um, it was a massive show. We played to 50,000 people. It was the biggest oh, show wow. we've ever done. It was, mm. you know, all the merch sold out within about 40 minutes, mm. just, you know, people raving about it. And it was it was amazing. But, you know, the problem is that I couldn't get back there the next year because that, you know, because I lost so much money getting over there to do that. And it's just sort of that constant, like, what do we risk going for? And if we do get it and it does go well, how do we follow it up? Um, and that's, yeah, it's frustrating. Like, I I, I really want to be doing more and getting out there and and going overseas and touring and, and yep. just, yep. you know, it's not about uh, not wanting to do it. It's just the fact that the, the possibility is, is very low with the, with the amount of money it takes to travel from New Zealand to do anything, really. Yeah. Did you get to tour um, Long Player? In or, New Zealand, yeah. Yep. We did big, big theatres here Okay. for the release tour. Yep. 
uh, we did a bunch of shows in Australia and I didn't really do, we did a couple of showcases in the States, but not sort of the full band search. Like in, for example, like the release gig in Wellington, we had like a 30 piece gospel choir, uh, you know, sort of like an eight, eight, um, eight piece sort of band, four BVs, mm. you know, it was huge. Um, you know, so like we've had some amazing shows. It's been great. I mean, but yeah, so it's just sort of trying to balance being in New Zealand strategically um, with the population and and the fact that you know, like I'm I'm not the the new the new fish. Mm. It can get quite um, it can get quite difficult and and just figuring out how to make it work and. Um, and on on all the levels, you know, sort of mm. musically being interesting to people, um, being happy about what I'm delivering to people, uh, with the oversaturation now in New Zealand of like so much New Zealand music and such amazing New Zealand music. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the artist sharing they do with Australia as well. So all of the festivals and things, there's a lot of mm-hmm. a lot more internationals coming down, um, which you know people save up you know months to go to, you know. A, ACDC show or a Justin Bieber show in Auckland, mm-hmm. uh, you know. So it's just, there's really no guarantee on any tour at any particular time that's gonna really lock in that pocket of interest and in, in just knowing that you're gonna have a good tour with a good outcome and financially be stable enough to get through it. You know. Mm. So it's yeah. I mean, in the music, I mean, from when Long Player released, in which. You know, had a huge revenue uh, gig wise, and because there was album sales. Yep. You know, yeah, that's right. And we, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a it was a double or triple triple platinum album. You know, yep. Uh, and then even to the second record, which was you know four or five years later, just the I mean, I didn't recoup that album. It took a year, about fourteen months, to recoup that album. Mm-hmm. Which was a bit of a shock because I was like, okay, yeah, it'll be different, but you know, invest everything, make some return, and it was like, oh shit, maybe not. And then, <laughs> and then, you know, like, and then the, you know, the last record, the third record, again, uh, you know, that was never going to break even, um, and it was just about working our asses off on the road. Because, you know, like, and now it's just difficult in regards to how do you create an amazing album when there's nothing that can offset those costs, you know, unless you've got like a major single on Spotify. Yep. Then, I mean, even that, you know, I mean, 8 million hits on one song is probably going to, you know, just pay off a record, you know? Yep. So that's, that's the hell of a lot. And that, you know, so it's, it's the industry is just so different, and and because my mentality is still, you know, sort of pretty old school of loving to create bodies of work and loving to create albums. Yep. You know, so that's what I love doing. So I kind of, you know, get right in the pocket to go, yeah, I'm ready, and we're going to make this sort of body of work. But now releasing a body of work like that now, um, it doesn't, it doesn't translate. Sorry, my webcam died. Hang on, I've got... There we go. Other camera. Camera two. Camera two. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, 
you would, yeah, you're just talking about the, the third album, which is um, um, Water or Gold. Yeah, Water yeah. or Gold. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I guess it's just the, you know, the progression over the way that the music industry landscape has changed in the last decade has been so significant. Um, you know, I find it really difficult, and I think a lot of people do, to find exactly what avenue you're supposed to take, uh, you know, because there's, I mean, a lot of the, you know, new artists coming through, you know, are technically more adept, um, mm. sorry, that, you know, they can, they're creating things in their garage, they're creating uh, music on their own, they've got really high production skills, you know, whereas all of the albums I've done have been, you know, album-based live records, which are now so difficult to get done on, on a low budget. Um, you know, so it's, it's kind of just sort of balancing and figuring out how to now utilise this new uh, environment that we find ourselves, that we're, we're now in, you know. Mm-hmm. Have you had much help from New Zealand On Air with funding and stuff like that? New Zealand On Air is incredible, yeah. They've been very, very supportive of, of me over the years. Um, so I've, I've had funding for this record, which is which I'm working on now, which is mm-hmm. super exciting. I mean, totally already blown it out of the water, because <laughs> um, I got excited and um, I've got the NZSO on it. I've got yep. the New Zealand yep. Symphony Orchestra on it, and like you know, so That's you know, awesome. I'm pretty good at also going right. I'm going, I'm going all in and going deep, and um, <laughs> go so hard, it'll be home. amazing. <laughs> but you know, yeah. okay. Well, um, you've actually answered a bunch of my questions in your in your um, talk in there regarding, I was going to ask you about, do you have a sort of home studio set up with gadgets and stuff like that to be able to do that sort of stuff yourself? If you do or if you don't, what's your process in writing? Like, do you just sit at your piano and just record that and have the idea in your head and take it to some people or do you kind of put a full demo together at home or, or that kind of thing? Um, these days I'm kind of just more sitting down, writing a basic track. This album, this album, you know, has been just me sort of sitting down, writing a track and keeping it really, really basic. Like mm-hmm. I haven't expanded on it too much. I haven't arranged parts. I haven't, um, I haven't gone too deep and tried to let it sort of organically, because the song, these songs are a lot simpler. Like the melodies are simpler, the structures are simpler, the chordal structures simpler so I don't want to overcomplicate it mm. and so with these tracks yeah I've just sort of sat down and written the track and then sort of left it at that and mm-hmm. then once we get in the studio I mean the, we've done the arrangements for the NZSO so we've recorded those but mm. because of COVID obviously we couldn't record in April so now the whole record is literally being pieced back front <laughs> yes, yep. with people's availability and how yeah because we we were going to be doing. We were going to be doing this last week, but you said, "Oh, I, I can't. We've got to go. I've got to go to Wellington. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to work with the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra." So, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So, uh, yeah. So that kind of yeah. So basically, the first day in the studio for this record was with the NZSO, which was mind blowing. I've never worked with an orchestra, mm. um, let alone that one. Uh, so pretty huge, epic. Yep. Like, holy shit! I've now got to make the rest of the record to live up to that. <laughs> uh, so now I'm fucking terrified, but um, super excited. And, yeah. you know, being, well, I've done a few, well, I did some demos prior to lockdown so I could go into the studio with the band and all that kind of stuff. So 
there's things there that I'm just sort of listening through and figuring out how I can make it all come together. But yeah, essentially sit down and do it. And I've got like the most basic setup of just literally a mic underneath a baby mattress, which I've mm-hmm. hung from the ceiling with buttons and um, fishing line. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> no, <babe. laughs> uh, I can even show you. Okay, sweet. So, so there's ah, yeah, yeah. both, and then up there, so it's hanging from fishing line, which yeah, I've hung on hooks, line. and then put buttons <laughs> through the mattress. It's very Kiwi engineer with yeah, that on there. Um, but yeah, guitar or piano, write those songs, and, and now I don't get too involved in everything else. Like my musicians are incredible, and I trust them to create whatever. I don't need to direct them too much. They generally know what I'm, where I'm going with things these days, so... Um, I just cross my fingers and hope for the best. So, yeah. so are you working with the same musicians you've worked with for the last bunch of years? Uh, Darren, my drummer, yes. Yep. Um, he's been on all the records. Mm-hmm. Dan Hales was on the last record, uh, but it's it, you know shit that's you know four years ago now. So mm-hmm. we've been working with him for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So he'll be on board and. Normally I work with Marika Hodgson, who's incredible. Bass player, yeah. She's been my bass player for, for years. We play together all the time. Um, but I am using a different bass player just totally logistically for logistic reasons that I'm doing everything down in Wellington. I don't have the budget to kind of um, get her down and right. all that kind of shit. So, um, you know, it's not unfortunate. Johnny um, Johnny Lawrence, who I'm using, is absolutely a demon as well. I'm, mm. I'm incredibly lucky, but... Yeah, just logistically that made sense that they could rehearse together while I'm not there in Wellington and, and all that kind of thing. And, and Marika's incredibly busy with a number of different things as well. So yeah. that's how that rolled out. Um, yeah, so it's all, I mean, at the moment, yeah, it's fingers crossed. I mean, I'll be going into the studio with the band at the end of, well, mid-August. Yep. And hopefully maybe have a singer out November. Mm-hmm. Um and we're probably, realistically speaking, we're probably looking at like a late, late March release, depend and just you know depending on what it clashes with, maybe maybe early April. But yeah, mm. so unfortunately, it's taken a lot more time with this record. But you know, COVID nineteen's had that effect on a few things, so I'm yeah, gonna yeah. blame that. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever written for other people? Like thought of writing songs and then you know putting it into publishing and, and putting those songs out there for other people or or those songs that you write, they, they're your babies? Oh, there's definitely ones that I would like to be out in that kind of arena. Um, mm. There's a couple of really poppy songs that, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't do. Like I love them. I think they're great, but they're just so outside my kind of curriculum. Yep. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think now – with the means that I've got, I might just start doing that a little bit more in every song I write, just make sure it's down and then put it to people instead of going, oh, no, that doesn't suit me. I might put, you know, like flag that one. So I'm just, I'm sort of just getting into the, into the zone now of just sort of finishing everything I write. So having a little bit of a file full to be able to give my publishers and see if they've got any, get any love anywhere with it. Yeah, that's cool. Um, mm. Do you sing? Do you sing every day? How do you ma- maintain your voice, especially? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Okay. 
I should. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it, alcohol, does that, does that? I think that's counterintuitive, isn't it? Doesn't that kind of? No? no? no maybe. No. Um, <laughs> no, I'm pretty lazy, to be fair, but when I need to, I'm kind of one of those people who say they're going to do stuff and be like, yeah, Monday. Okay. And, and I'm like, okay, next Monday. Yep. And then... And then I'll go, holy shit, I've got something coming up, and then go really freaking hard to right. make sure I'm in, in, in form. Um, I'm pretty lucky. I'm, 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 a, nat- you know, I'm, I'm a natural I understand. singer. Yep. So I'm pretty lucky in regards to the fact that I don't have to whip my ass off every day. But, um, but when I do, I definitely do. So at the moment, I'm kind of all or nothing. <laughs> so I'm about to go on all phase where... Uh, just in the last few days, booking everything. Like, um, there will be very minimal days off for the next sort of three months. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So that's what's going to happen. And then I'll be able to present to you um, a new record, hopefully very soon, which is weirdly exciting. <laughs> that's really cool. Really looking forward to it. Um mm. All right, Holly Smith, thank, thanks so much for uh, spending this time with me tonight and, and talking about your, your career and, um, you know, some of the shit you've been to, plus some of the great stuff as well, and really looking forward to the, to the new al- album and, you know, sort of following your progress on social media, whatever you show us, and, and hopefully you can um, get out here and do some shows. Yeah, definitely. And, like, um, all you motherfuckers need to... Um like wear masks and stay inside <laughs> for a minute and then uh, we can open our little bubble together and then we can all be touring around each other. Yeah, well, there was there was talk before this um this last week that maybe September that bubble was going to open between Australia and New Zealand, but uh, I don't know now. Yeah, I think as soon as everything's under control, uh, then that will definitely be what's going to happen. But I think... And even then, like you're saying, like you just got told that like your borders were going to like shut down between states, right? So, I mean, even if 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 those borders are held tight, then we could still have bubbles with certain states, I think, which has been discussed. But yep. I mean, realistically, it's just I mean, everyone who comes through has got to do quarantine and shit. Yep. Um, actually, I've got some stuff coming up with Don McGlashan. Uh, for today, O version of uh, on base. Oh, cool! Yep. And just had a meeting with him yesterday. He's in Canada, and he's for the stuff we're doing mid September. He's like sort of leaving late August to be able to quarantine for two weeks before he can come on board to do anything. So you know, it's some pretty crazy shit. But um, but yeah, everyone who's listening, I hope you're all doing well and and. It's it's such a crazy time. I know it's a very up and down time emotionally and for mental health. And yep. um, I hope everyone's looking after themselves and being kind to themselves. And and you know, I think we've shown pretty incredible resilience and in how we can accept and and meld our way, you know, meld a different way of life if necessary. And you know, it takes its toll. But I think. Um, and the general oversight of the human race currently, um, a lot of things are not giving me faith, but then also a lot of things are giving me huge amounts of faith. And I just hope that everyone's being safe and looking after themselves and 
I wish everyone very well on this bizarre fucking 2020 that we are currently <laughs> finding ourselves in. <laughs> very well said, mate. Very well. Hey, Kanye for president. Oh, oh what about yeah. that? <laughs> Oh, oh, classic. All right, Holly, thanks again. And um, yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, All cheers, right. buddy. Cheers, sweet. Okay, cool. Bye. Soul in the soldier. soldier.